Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorkin, and with me, as always, is a man whose horses were also members of the Resistance. <laughs> if I'm a member of the Resistance, everyone below me in station automatically a member of the Resistance. Automatically a member of the Resistance. Even I just, if I, I only trained those horses to fight so that one day they could reinstate the Bourbon line. And put, right, right, right. put the king I mean, back I'm in just power. Really, I'm deeply fascinated in my, in like some sort of weird headcanon version for myself. This movie, and any any time you see this, that you know, okay, so like you know how there are those like ideas about animals that are kind of fucked up, right? That people have, where like you know, <laughs> okay, oh, once sure. a dog's tasted human blood, like you can't, you just gotta, okay, you gotta put okay, it down. That's what we're like, going you, for. Yes, all right. And like, or you, or you're like, oh, the horse broke its leg; it's irrecoverable. Like we just have yeah. to put. Like, yeah. I like. I have this weird headcanon where maybe, like, if the Nazis found out that the horses were owned by Resistance members, they'd be like, well, got to put them down. They, can't, they won't be loyal horses anymore. Uh, that feels like a Nazi thing to believe, though, right? It does. I'm not it wrong, does. right? To believe that, like, oh, it's in the blood now. We've, uh, or torturing the are... horses to turn information. <laughs> yeah, the other horses in the stable. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, but, like, it, it, for real, though, I want to be really honest here. I know that it's probably not true. But somewhere deep in my head, there ha- there has to have been Nazis like, well, those horses are disloyal. <laughs> they are traitors, so we're going to have to put them down. I, I, I feel like the, that has to have happened, right? I mean, the flip side of that is a horse with innate knowledge that Nazis are bad, and I feel good about that. So True. Well, okay. But, of course, keep in mind that this supposition all works on stupid Nazi beliefs. <laughs> right. So the horse is not it, it, part of the premise is that the horses are not actually innate Nazi haters. Um, although I would believe that that's also possible. Yeah. Uh, that a horse can just sort of like the way people believe that a dog just like knows if a person's a dog person or not. That a horse can be like, yep, that's a fucking Nazi. Kick, kick, kick. Time to go to work. Fucking Nazis in town. Get to kicking, boys. And then they just all start kicking. <laughs> and, then they had, and then the Nazis had to put him down. They're like, "Wow, fucking resistance horses!" Yeah. And then it probably gets real racial real quick, right? Like, I mean, if we're being okay. honest here, it probably gets very even gross. You're going down a dark quickly. path, but I want to put us on a different dark path where horses. I, I, I am where horses Nazi. know <laughs> the Nazis are Nazis, or what? Where horses know that Nazis are Nazis, and all horses know this, but they still, still, some horses decide to join up. Yeah, some horses are are, are not are traitors, right? Some of the horses were part of the Vichy, the I can't say that word. Vichy, the Vicky. Vicky, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm bad. All things French are real hard for me. I'm not yeah. good at it. This is gonna be a rough one. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, we are so glad for listeners and so glad for those listeners who have decided to support us uh, for just a dollar a month. Uh, we get a little, little low-cost bonus material over there. Uh, you get access to a bonus episode. We talk about a non-Criterion film each month, and we uh, not only do you get access to that new episode, 
the whole back catalog of those episodes, you also get to vote on the next movie we're going to watch over there. I put yeah, together a list of five films, and the fifth choice is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a uh, genie. Uh, we've only watched it once. They've only voted for it outright once. Uh, I mean, probably because it's not really probably very much fun to listen to us talk about it, honestly. Right, right, right. My my one plan for Gazam that might... I, I hesitate to say because it might entice people to vote for Gazam. My hope is to, uh, every time we end up watching Kazam, add a new person to the podcast. I like uh, But that never idea. take anyone away. So so whoever right. whoever commits to being... On episode on Kazam, Kazam episode cast, two yeah. is going on is going to be on Kazam episode three, four, five in perpetuity, uh, and so on. Yeah, I mean the problem so that with the, that the group obviously is always being growing, you're essentially but signing always the same a people. friend of ours up for torture, right, right. for a lifetime of torture, a yeah. possible lifetime of torture. <laughs> but yes, well, I, I assume this will be a critical mass scenario where at some point. They'll just only vote for Kazam. <laughs> right. And every week we'll have to find a new person until everyone until in the world. Until it's unsustainable, right? Until yeah. it collapses under its own yeah. weight. It's like, well, this 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 Skype call has 28 people in it. <laughs> uh, trying to talk about this movie. we Most of us have seen, some of us have seen 28 times. <laughs> right. Uh, right. You know. Yeah. Uh, but that'll be fun if it ever happens, right? Patreon.com slash yeah. Lost in Criterion if you want to push us push us into that horror scenario. Yeah. Uh, for a little extra $5 a month, uh, we'd like to thank those supporters on air. And thank you to Adam Speckerman for your continued $5 support. Been doing it for a long time, and we greatly appreciate that. Above that, $10 and above, we have a tier that I think is something pretty, pretty special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get it printed up on postcards and mail that off to our $10 and above supporters with a little thank you note. Uh, we also like to thank those people on there, too. Thank you to Michael McGrath and to Jason Westhaver for your continued support at that yes, level. Thank you. Thank you so much. And above. This week, we are talking about a Jean-Pierre Melville film, Army of Shadows. Uh, we've seen a lot of Melville in the past. And we've been disappointed by a lot of Melville in the past. Yeah, that's pretty true. Um, <laughs> I I will say, for one, uh, this is my favorite Melville film that we've seen. Okay, all right. Uh, um, that is, I can't argue with you because I can't actually remember what any of them are. Um, uh, so in the past, we have seen Le Samurai. We have seen Le Cirque Rouge. Uh, which he made actually on either side of Army of Shadows. I believe Le Samurai was the yes, movie I remember made before Le Samurai. This. I remember and, that because I I did not enjoy it. Yeah, uh, and Le Cirque Rouge was uh, the film where the gangster guy drives out of the city for like an hour and then turns around and drives back into the city. Oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Bob Le Flambleau. Uh, we've also seen that was the is that uh, the one the that said Morocco or am I thinking of the wrong one? No, no, you're thinking of the wrong one. Bob okay. Flambleau was the uh, the casino heist movie. I super uh, don't remember that one at all. Yeah, it was it was pretty okay. We will see a lot of other uh, movies from him, um, like a lot of other movies from him. Uh, so uh, <laughs> won't even mention them all, but uh, 
But yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, it seems like from what you're describing, we're probably basically going to see everything he ever made. Basically, I don't know if it's quite that. Well, much, I mean, but they are, there are nine nine Melville films total in the Criterion Collection, and there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-one total films in his filmography. So. I mean, we're not going to quite get to half, but we're not going to be that far right, away from it. Right, right. <laughs> Thank you for providing me with 20 things I need to cut out of this podcast right off the start. You're welcome. <laughs> I assumed that you wanted to hear. Okay. The other option was me silently counting while you didn't know what was happening and being like moving on with the entire thing. and, be, and like, That is fair. And now all of it stays in the podcast. Damn straight Thank it you. does. <laughs> uh, this week is Army of Shadows. It is uh, based on Joseph Kessel's 1943 book of the same name, which was a memoir of Kessel's time in the Resistance. Uh, this is added to with Melville's own time in the French Resistance. Uh, though I did learn uh, this week that uh, some people... Don't think that uh, Melville was ever actually in the resistance, <laughs> including like, okay. including okay. director Vol- uh, Volker Schlondorf, uh, <laughs> the guy who directed the Ten Drum, the Tin Drum, and we've seen some right. other films right. from yeah, him yeah, yeah. who worked with Melville. Has his Weird. doubts. That's really interesting. Yeah, I that's that is a fascinating. Like, I wonder what percent. This is conspiracy theory, and what percent this is real? I'm very yeah, curious. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of feel like I really need to spend some time trying to figure this out. Like I'm not going to get the answer, but I want an answer. I I got to be honest. I I've never been part of the French Resistance during World War II. Uh, well, I but, have. So, but I feel um, like I feel like Army of Shadows provides us with uh, the with sort of insider's eye because it is not a romanticized view. Of the resistance. Yeah, but like, okay, maybe. But keep in mind, you don't have to be an insider to make something gritty. And that's true. As proven by entire waves of superhero movies. Are you suggesting Zack Snyder is not Superman? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be so presumptuous, but... uh, all right. But you know what I mean, right? Like, you can gritty shit up without actually knowing anything about it, right? Like, that's yeah. a thing you can do. Like, it's not hard. You just make a lot of people die and people talk roughly to each other. Um, I'm fascinated by this conspiracy theory because uh, it's interesting if it's true, right? Like, that's a really fascinating thing to be true. Right. Another interesting level on, on top of Melville's life. Uh yeah, I, I did not investigate it any further. It was a single line that suggested that some people, including Schlondorf, do not believe that, or at least believe that Melville was exaggerating. Uh, I mean, yeah. and that's, that's yeah, and, and that's even that's even harder to prove and or know the answer. Like, but, like, maybe, right? Like, who knows, right? Who knows? <laughs> Right, we'll never know, but it's I'm I kind of want to commit to it just because it's like a conspiracy theory that has no no objective effect on my reality. Yeah, right. That I could believe and like 
without any danger to myself. You know what I mean? Without without right. like being a right. bad person in any way, I could be like, yeah, I don't think he was a part of the resistance or like, it's uh, like yeah. It's like the the Stevie Wonder isn't really blind conspiracy, <laughs> right? Like, like it has no practical effect sure, on my life not? or anybody else's life, really. Yeah. Like even if that's true, I'm not going to do anything about it. Right. Uh, right. Like, <laughs> why would I? Uh, so, what yeah. what would I do? <laughs> yeah, like what what conceivable outlet would I have to to, to deal with yeah. it? Like yeah, no, it's I like I, and I worry that they're gateway drugs, right? Uh, oh yeah, but, certainly. Um, yeah, flat Earth is I'm, not very far away from Stevie Wonder's not really Wonder's blind. So, yeah, so. I I I have faith in my ability to control myself. Yeah, uh, and how far down I'll go, how far I'll go down that rabbit hole. Uh, so I might commit to this one. I might, I might <laughs> all right, go for it. All right. Melville was not really in the resistance. Because uh, like, the you... chances, chances are literally the only time it'll come up is when you and I talk. Because I've right. never talked with, about Melville with any other human being on Earth. Yeah. Uh, and in that case, I feel it was a mistake telling you that at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, I know you fucked it up, man. Like you should have told you brought, That should have been like an end stinger, right? Yeah. We're like, oh, really? <laughs> yes. See you next Melville film, Adam. <laughs> bum, because bum, like, bum. let's be, let's guarantee this. I would forget by then. You absolutely would. Hopefully, you forget. And there's still a decent chance that that will happen, but the more we talk about it, the less likely I'll forget. Certainly, certainly. Uh, (laughs) So, another interesting fact about this movie is it did not have a U.S. release, theatrical release, until 2006. And I love the way the sort of cause and effect that led to that. Yeah. Like, because it's it's very flattering to Charles de Gaulle, French critics didn't. Really it's, like it. It's not even especially flattering to De Gaulle, but at the time that it came out, De Gaulle and the Resistance were sort of on the outs because De Gaulle was trying to become the dictator of France. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying, though. But like that, okay. So like you, yeah. you get a sort of like a, a an, the the inverse of a guilt of guilt by association, right? Like if yeah. Charles De Gaulle is responsible for the Resistance and he's a bad person, then movies about the Resistance that paint the Resistance as a fundamental positive activity by their nature are afflicted by that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like there, there's a transitive property there. Yeah. Um, and I, and I get where that comes from. Right. Because like, I like, okay. I can't think of a super great example, but an example might be, uh, I'm trying to think of a better example, but okay. If we can all, well, let's take this podcast in a real weird direction. You might have all right. If we can agree that Obama's a war criminal, Okay, uh, because every French, every American president, essentially for the last five decades, has, been <laughs> has elected, to be right? by by nature, right? Like they have committed all committed war crimes, uh, right? I mean, we can't based on yes, the definition just, of war crimes, we cannot argue that that's wrong. Let's right? go on. Okay, so then a movie about him, anything that he had done would automatically be a glorification of a war criminal, right? Right. And that that gets problematic, right? Right. Uh, because, because, you know, and and then especially if you get into something even darker, like the, the capture and killing of yeah. Osama bin Laden or something like that, right? Right. It gets even darker, right? Because that is also a violent act that is actually illegal, right? It's an extrajudicial killing, right? Yes. That is now- also a war crime. Uh, but, you know. Now, imagine uh, that uh, the Occupy movement was much stronger okay. than it was and had, like, let's say 60% even 
support nationwide. And that a movie glorifying Obama came out uh, while while the Occupy people controlled... Right, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Controlled yeah, no, the, that's a, yeah. controlled the, the media about what was good. <laughs> and that's essentially what we boil down to. The, uh, right, and that's a The cat here's to cinema thing. guys, the... Your your Goddard's your your you know your French culture definers of the time uh, were heavily in support of the May sixty eight, uh, uh, <laughs> the events of May sixty eight as the French refer to them, <laughs> um, uh, but the uh, the series of popular revolts and civil unrest and general strikes uh, throughout. And de Gaulle, president at the time, tried to quash that quite overtly. Uh, and uh, around the same time, we're, uh, France is trying to assert its uh, colonialism in Algiers uh, and suppress a popular uprising there, trying to throw off the shackles. And, you know, to a, to a certain regard, I think there's, there's a reading of the French resistance that you could say, well, this is us celebrating us doing this thing that is exactly like what the people in Algeria oh, yeah, are doing for sure, right? are doing to us. Uh right. And then that and that's it becomes darker, right, when you start right. thinking about the fact that like we're actively trying to stop somebody else from right. being able to do that thing. So right? so in maybe de Gaulle is hated, but I think I think the resistance maybe is just persona non grata. Like, like, don't bring and, and it up. I get that. I kind of <laughs> so. get where that comes from. And like, you know, I could personally come from a, di- a different perspective yeah. on that. Like, and I think you can too, right? Oh, certainly. Uh, yeah. I'm imagining this, and and this is all speculation on on why why the resistance wouldn't be talked about. You know, there's there's hints at something to do with Algeria, but there's no real definitive cause and effect in the background of this movie. Uh and production and release, so I don't really know, but that's my my speculation. Uh, right. I will say I don't feel this movie especially glorifies De Gaulle. Uh, he is only seen from behind. Right. He is yeah, no, giving I an award that. to people who are actively fighting while he runs Free France from a office building in London or North Africa or wherever he actually was. Uh, so I think it kind of, it undermines, uh, de Gaulle's claim of, of, uh, heroism in the resistance a little bit too. Right. Maybe not overtly and maybe not purposefully and maybe not to the ends that anyone would want. Uh, but yeah, um. Yeah, it's just it's it's interesting that it was such a contentious thing. Like but we have talked in the past and we talked specifically when talking about French films that came out in 68 and just after 68 that De Gaulle at the time was trending toward authoritarianism. Right. And uh yeah, I can I can understand I can understand them feeling a little, a, a bunch of communist sympathizers <laughs> feeling a little uneasy about De Gaulle getting any sort of positive press, period. Right. Especially yeah, no, from someone uh, they generally recognize as uh, a director they respect, right? Right, yeah. 
Yeah, and and you know you get into that sort of stuff. You know, this is probably all very difficult, right? Like to to figure out because, uh, yeah, they it, it, that that I'm sure that that caused a lot of people a lot of pause to try to figure out. And yeah. like you know, that like as you mentioned, this is not particularly doesn't highlight De Gaulle or anything like that. Uh, and you know, it could just be that the resistance is persona on grata and stuff like that. But also, like, honestly, like, if I'm being really brutally honest about this movie, its rendering of the resistance is a very, it's kind of a weird thing to watch. Yeah. Right. Because you're watching a lot of people essentially accomplish nothing. Right. For like and that's, a certain number of hours. The the Nazi uh, execution scheme where uh, a bunch of people are put in a room with uh, machine guns behind them and told that if they can make it to the far wall, they'll be allowed to run the room again. Right. That is that is an exact metaphor for everything going on with the resistance that we're seeing here. Right. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Right. Already what they're doing. They're already participating in right. that scheme. They are participating in a scenario where the best they can hope for is the chance to continue to participate in that scenario. Right. right. Uh, and I guess you survive long enough and the war's over, which is ultimately what happens to the French resistance, uh, at least uh, in this portion. We're also, prior to 1944, uh, and we're set in 1943 here, um, it is my understanding the French resistance that we see here is fairly accurate in that there were only maybe a couple hundred members of the resistance working everywhere. Uh, right, and right. that uh, that real popular upheaval hadn't uh, hadn't started yet. That there right, would be yeah. there would be many more to come the next year, but where we're at now, it is a matter of survival, and that's you can easily apply that argument to the other side too. Uh, and we're we're introduced to French police officers in the very first scene who are trying to be jovial and polite, uh, and are stopping to pick up black market goods. Uh, on their way to imprisoning a uh, right, dissident. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the farmers whose place they stop at, or shopkeeper or whatever it is, uh, you know, is providing them to buy themselves an amount of comfort and freedom within this right. system, right? And that's that's that was what the appeasement of Vicky Frentz was. It was fine. We'll we'll go along. Just don't hurt us more. Uh, unfortunately, right. that requires throwing a lot of ethnic minorities under the bus. Uh, and the bus, in this instance, is a soul-crushing, murderous machine of death. Uh, right. That well, was that, actively that, killing them. So a thing I was thinking about. So like he, our main character gets thrown, gets caught initially. Yeah. Uh, pretty early on, and gets thrown into the into the sort of camp and like the way he sort of talks about all the groups that are in there also seem, I don't know why, but like when I was watching it felt very like dismissive and like it's partially matter of fact, I think. Yeah. And I think when you get matter of fact about people who are definitely going to die, that automatically makes it very dismissive and very dark, right? right? Like he's just going through and naming all the people who are there and maybe it's not intended to be that way. 
But it does very to me very much feel like oh well like you know I think well, the, these are all the the minorities that that the Nazis are about to kill. I guess I'm with these guys now. Which like if you're part of the resistance shouldn't you know? I think that's a problem we run into, right? Right. It is very well, reasonable to believe and to and to understand and recognize that a probably decent number of people in something like the resistance are probably also racial bigots. Right. Fair. Uh, you know what I mean? Which is a problem, right? When you when you start to think about it, right? Because they're not they're fighting for a free France. They're not necessarily fighting for, hey, let's stop murdering members of racial minorities. Right. So, I think that scene, that whole sequence of him first arriving into him walking around the grounds, uh, announcing the different groups of people who are there. Uh, you remember Night and Fog, of course. Yes. And Night and Fog came out in '54. And this is 15 years beyond that. And and Night and Fog, France had already gotten to a point where it was this strident belief that uh, the horrors of World War II in France were something that was inflicted on them by the Nazis. And yeah, that, okay. And that yeah. the French were disconnected. So this movie automatically, it starts out with collaborators, right? And French police in French police uniforms acting as uh, enforcers for Nazi power structures. So right. we're already pushing out and back against that idea that that night in fog so succinctly pushed back against as well. But but we're 15 years beyond that, and we're so we're a full generation from from the war at this point, right? Right. So I think you need to fight that battle again because it's a battle that needs to be constantly fought to remember that it's not just the Jews, it's not just right. the homosexuals, it's not just the Roma. Uh, it is all of them, and it is so much more. It is people who were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, who were probably being on the level, probably, when they say they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. People who owned a thing that uh, the authorities decided was contraband, even though it was part of their job. Uh, but it is also ethnic minorities of all stripes. It is the North right. Africans. It is uh, <clears throat> the Polish. It is Jews of every nationality. Uh, and it is important to remember that these were French citizens perpetrating atrocities on other French citizens. Right. And uh, that, uh, that we, are, we are not just victims. Many of us are victims, but we are not just victims. We are also the perpetrators. And, you know, I feel like – did we talk about this recently – yeah, with with uh, it came up sometime. Yeah, with uh, um, Lehane, we talked about uh, right. Yeah, the yeah, French yeah. view of of uh, of sort of racism and and race itself and and how everybody's viewed as French and these North Africans aren't and the Algerians aren't anything different than French because they're French citizens, and that's that's the mid nineties stance on that. I think. It'd be very hard to argue, given what we know about the high points and low points of French history, that uh, Jewish people, for instance, have always been accepted as French. That is right. Yeah, we all know that. That, that we all that know that that's not true. Work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it is. It is interesting to me that this movie goes out of its way to point out it wasn't just resistors who were arrested. And it's not just 
ethnic minorities who are arrested. It's not just right. Jews who are arrested. It's it's a whole swath of people who are victims of this. Uh, and in that, you could you could jump from that to a anti-authoritarianism argument, but it feels like maybe Melville didn't do that in any purposeful way. Right, uh, yeah. I don't feel like this movie is meant to be an answer to the May, six, May 68 incidents, uh, despite it coming out in 1969. I don't feel like Melville was working well, on this as as a response yeah. to the uprisings. But at the same time, uh, you do have to deal with the, with the thing we, we've dealt with many times before, which is like, you know, a, a, a creator probably can't divorce himself from the, the context of the world he's building in, right. at right. the time, right? Like, choosing to make a war a movie about the resistance right around that time has to be purposeful. Though. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, there has to be some in, even if it's, like, accidental, even if it just put him in mind of it. You know, like, there's got to be some connection there. It just, there has to be. And, um, you know, choosing the, to depict the resistance in this way, which is both, somehow both heroes and totally ineffectual right. is, is, is a really weird, like, it's just a generally weird choice, right? Like, it's not the way these kind of things are usually done. I'm not saying it's wrong. It, I do like the fact that it is very much like, look, this is not actually accomplishing anything or her, okay? Let's be very right. clear. <laughs> these people are not getting anywhere fast. Um, But it's also, it, it is, I think, actually romanticized, though. I mean, we said you mentioned not romanticizing it. I would argue that this is romantic, like romanticized, like the. I don't, I don't even, know, man. I don't know if you can call call it romanticization when it's literally ineffectual. Everything they do, all they manage to do, they kill one German guard. Everyone else they murder is a turncoat or someone they feel might become that's a turncoat. That's true, that, and and so, so and and then the sort of turning it on themselves thing, but I would. I would argue that you are borderline incapable of showing. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Showing soldiers or members of a war and not fundamentally romanticizing them in yeah. some way, like because if, if the idea of being a resistance fighter appeals to somebody, then a fucking movie about them, even if they suck, is right that way, right? And they're not. And keep in mind that they're ineffectual because of circumstances beyond their control to a certain extent, right? Right. They're not they're not ineffectual because they are necessarily bad at their job. They don't have the resources to be effective. Right. And they're but and like uh fighting the good fight despite not having the resources necessary to you is the hallmark of war of of is a hallmark of romanticized like uh warrior culture, right? Like yeah. That is literally the fucking is literally fucking three hundred. And Melville has. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna die on this hill, no matter how much we actually have. Like, no matter how bad it is, no matter the fact that we know we're gonna lose, we're prepared to die on this hill. Is romanticization of soldiers and in this scenario, resistance fighters. It just has uh, to be. It is. Melville has described himself as a right wing anarchist, an extreme individualist politically. Ah. Uh, 
Which, to me, makes this film about a celebration of standing against authoritarianism, period. Uh, even when you maybe, know it's not yeah. going to work. Huh? Oh, no. I, I said maybe. I'm sorry. No, I just said maybe because okay. the phrase that you just used that Melville used to describe himself, let's be very clear here. We would not like now Melville. Oh, right. You and no, I. No. Like, if <laughs> Melville were a person walking this earth right now, Especially if you lived in America, you and I would not have nice things to say about this person. Yeah. Because what you just described is essentially shitty libertarianism. <laughs> right, right. No, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's, a thing worth, it's a thing worth remembering, right? Because the historicalness of his existence does not, in fact, negate that he's a person we would not like. In this world, and we would have good reasons to not like him, because what that description is is counter to most of your and my fundamental beliefs about the way society should work. Right. In full context, I am an extreme individualist, and to tell you the truth, I don't wish to be either right or left, but I certainly live as a man of the right. I'm a right-wing anarchist. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, you just described a libertarian. Friends, but what we just described right. is, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, like, I, and, 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 but you get into the classic thing that we, you and I have talked about before, is that you're on average in this world, it's very easy for somebody who, to say they're not on either side, who is very clearly just. Right. Right. That's, that's. You know. Aside. <laughs> There was uh, there was a series of tweets I ran across yesterday. I can I wish I could cite who had them, and I'll never find them again. Uh, but the first one was saying, you know, if you go if you if you go on one of those internet dates and the person says they're not political, it means they're right wing, and uh, yeah. and I either are ashamed of it or have never actually self don't even know that they are like right. don't even realize that there's that their view skews past like the center right. point right or right. right right yeah. Uh, and and I feel I feel maybe in a way by saying he doesn't wish to be either right or left he at least acknowledges that he is right uh, or on the right uh, but he's saying he doesn't want to be right rightist or leftist and unfortunately that that centrism that's not an option yeah <laughs> it certainly wasn't an option during World War II. It was not an option during May '68, and it's not an option today. It's yeah, and it never, it just never actually has been, right? No one actually sits in the middle, right? You don't, yeah. you know, there's no people on Earth who share like, who look at both eyes and be like, yes, these are all equal. This is all equivalency, and I don't believe either any of them. Yeah, the gray people from Futurama, right? <laughs> the, the neutral planet, right? Those are the those. Are, that's what true neutral looks like, right? True neutral doesn't exist. Nobody is true neutral because it's an impossible position to maintain mentally uh, for a human being. You have to have beliefs. Not having beliefs, you're not a functioning human being if you don't have them, basically. Um, So I don't buy buy almost every word you just said. (laughs) Um, and, And that plays into what we're talking about, though, right? Because if he leans right and and all that stuff... He fundamentally believes that he probably fundamentally in some way or another is a De Gaulle sympathizer, yeah. right? That would be part and parcel of that, right? Because that's the right at the time, right? Right. Um, 
and and you know we we exist in a world that's not that far removed from something like that right now uh you and i um and if somebody says that they're that they're right leaning that that's what that means right um and so then making a movie in the aftermath of may 68 about the resistance which mind you you we did describe as being more gritty and darker does not in anywhere say that the resistance is bad right like they're ineffectual but they're fighting the good fight even though it means certain death that is the hallmark of right. of of romanticization of of soldiers. that's fair that's fair so i don't but and then the... again, when you romanticize a group of people who's directly attached to a person who wants to be a dictator, <laughs> right. you know, there's, there's a knock-on effect there. But at the same time, what are the, what is the resistance fighting? The resistance is fighting fascism, authoritarianism. No. What the is... resistance is fighting Nazi occupation, and no. that's the important key distinction that we run into. You're right. No, you're right, and, and we you're do, right, and we do run into this with the Civil War too. I mean, this is you're not right. a just a purely right this time period thing, right? We're when we get into the discussion about what the Civil War was about, it's also a thing that we also have to acknowledge that like a decent number of people who are fighting against the South weren't necess a decent number were fighting against slavery, and a decent number were not, right? right. Uh, and then that you get into that same thing here, which is, no, because would those people be off fighting a war against Germany had it not invaded France? The answer is probably fucking no. Probably. If they had, if they had invaded Poland and, you know. Well, they did. Czechoslovakia. Well, no, no, I mean. And I, no, I, I, no, I mean, like, I mean specifically, we have a reference. We have a reference in this movie to the phony war, right? And the phony war was the six months after the invasion of Poland uh, where everybody acted like they were all going to go punish Germany for doing that, uh, but no actual fighting took place. Right, exactly. And that's what I'm talking about, is that the, 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 the and we, we as a society need to be very clear about what, what, we don't have to get into some deep, the deep, dark corners of speculative fiction to understand what would have happened had Germany just not invaded France. Right. We know because most of Europe did not value Poland and Czechoslovakia in a way that meant they would actually do anything about it. They're not considered really part of the West when it really right. boils down to it, right? It's uh, like that. And, you, know, you know, last year Candace Owens got into a little hot water. Earlier this year, maybe I don't know. Time is so distorted. Now, because it is a new nightmare every day, but yeah, we live in uh, hellscape. Yeah, for sure. Candace but Owens now said, it has crazy fucking cyber trucks, so it's a hellscape <laughs> that is funny. There we go. At least there's that. Candace Owens said that uh, Hitler's mistake uh, was leaving Germany, and she got flack for that, of course, because Hitler's mistake was the uh, ethnic cleansing. That oh, was absolutely yes, uh, yeah. That was the yeah. major, the major thing that was the bad about Hitler. But Candace, Candace shows her hand shows the hand of many uh many right-wing ideologues to say that hitler's mistake was uh trying to export it um and you know that's we also get that on the flip side and this reticence to equate 
uh, the ideologies of Antifa with uh, the American army fighting Nazis in World War right, II, yeah. right? That is that is anti-fascism. That's what it was. But it wasn't right, anti-fascism. But it it was anti-Nazism. And, that's a, that was, and it was exactly. anti-Hitler. It's so complicated, right? Because, I mean, again, I don't know the context of the Candace Owens quote at yeah. all. But you can, you and I are not saying something super different than that in the sense that, honestly speaking, had Hitler not invaded France, I don't know that we would have fought World War II. I don't know that anyone would have cared. Exactly. And, and that is a sad, sad statement about, the state, like about what humanity is. Let's be very clear here. But we've seen it literally in our lifetimes, you and I. We watched a a very large, powerful country invade another country, that, and I'm not even talking about America, believe it or not. Although we could also talk about America very easily. <laughs> yeah, but we want you, we you and I lived through not that long ago, uh, Russia invading the Ukraine, uh, invading Ukraine, and like we all talked a big game, and then nothing. Really, I mean, aid was sent, but that's not the same thing as saying, "Okay, we're going to come there and liberate you" or something like that, right? Like, so the net result of that is that we we see this time and time again, right? Uh, in our world, that like if it's a group of people that you don't care about as a society, then you just allow th- terrible things to happen to them and don't care. Yeah, and and the reality of the matter is is that World War Two. I mean, I wish it were anti-fascist. I wish that were true. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was anti-Nazi and anti-imperial Japan, specifically. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, the same, the same thing holds true for... Um, and the reality of the matter is, is that the, the battle between America and Japan was probably more likely in many ways because Japan, America believed it had rights to the land... The, the, the territory that Japan was taking over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so that, that conflict seems almost to a certain extent more likely in this sort of speculative fiction universe, because eventually, you know, toes were going to get stepped on. Right. Yeah. But it has nothing to do with the people, right? Let's be very clear here. America's involvement in the Pacific had nothing to do with liberating various right. people in Southeast Asia from Imperial oppression. Right. Zero to do with it. Not even one percent. That's the thing we have to that's a thing we have to um acknowledge. And and that's why I feel like that beginning about where he's going through all the groups that are in this place feels very weird to me. Because it has that same kind of feeling that we're describing where it's like, well, Here's all the people that we don't really care about. Right. That we're not actually fighting for because we're fighting for a liberated France. Right. If and these people are in it or not in it when it's all said and done, doesn't seem to be a thing he cares that much about. But he is willing he is willing to work with anyone fighting for a free France. Right. Yeah. He'll work with the communist, he'll work with the royalist. That's true. And but that but with but my, but let's keep in mind the the enemy of my enemy is my friend has never been a statement that actually represents true friendship, right? Like it's a statement that gets used to justify cooperation between disparate groups, but 
those groups. I mean, the the the, the sort of right unspoken part of that is as soon as this is over, we're going to kill each other. Yeah. The communists, the communists killed Hitler, and the next day they were our enemies. So exactly, absolutely, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah. I, I, I just, I don't know that the people who denounced this movie were wrong. Yeah, because especially given the context that the movie came out, there's a there's a dark undercurrent to what's happening here. Right, and you and I, ideologically are much more sympathetic to the people who were denouncing this movie when it came out, even right. without knowing the full context of their denouncements. Right. And, that, and, that, and that's a bias that we have, and there's nothing yeah. where, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I don't know any way we could even really, honestly, without me going spending a lot of time in history classes, and then right. I don't even right. know if that would help fixing that bias. And so, and since that bias doesn't play into my day-to-day life that much, and cause me to, like, I don't walk around treating former French resistance members like crap on <laughs> right. a day-to-day basis or something. You know, it's, it's really not not a bias that I'm super concerned about. I think um, in a way then this reminds me of, uh, what was it, Go Tell a Watchman? The, uh, the sequel to oh, Harvard Oh, right, Harvard right. Lee's when we find out, to, it is, yeah, yeah. To, to, to Kill a Mockingbird where uh, Atticus is an old Southern revealed man. To be a super, yeah, it's revealed to be super racist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which you know it, I, it again, to get back to that. You know, uh, there is there is there is the obvious white savior reading of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird that I think the majority of people uh, very easily ignore <laughs> to say, well, he he helped the black guy, so. Uh, he wasn't well, racist and, and, because he was willing well, to help you, the white guy or black but guy. But then you get into but, an even a kind of a funnier, kind of more a kind of crazy reading, which is essentially what the resistance is, which is like, well, I just don't believe that like it's good for the law to not work properly. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't give a shit about like who the person it's hurting is. Right. I'm fighting for the law, you yeah. know, kind of attitude which is i'm here to i'm here to kick the nazis out of france right i'll do it with whoever will do it with me yeah kind of thing right yeah that's fair no you're i think you're absolutely right on i i feels mean is it because like it's a it's a weird position to have to put yourself in to be like well this thing about the resistance where they tried to stop the nazis is bad it won't like of course we are all on that page except for i think it's very important to mention as a thing, a thought process that goes through my head whenever we watch a movie like this is like the fact that there are still Nazis is a really fucked up thing to imagine in this world. Yeah, because like just watch. I mean, like this isn't even a particularly amazing movie about how bad Nazis are. Like you could really watch movies. There, we we have watched movies that really, really get to the fundamental heart of why the Nazis are bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? On this podcast, we have done that. Yeah, and uh, we will we will do that again. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm, but like, in reality, like the fact that like somebody could still want to be a Nazi is yeah. the most perplexing thing that is probably the hardest thing in the world for me to believe is true. Yeah, in my head. Like, I know it is. I fundamentally could see it in the world around me. I can look at it and be like, yep, there it is. But the 
it causes me some sort of unintentional, uh, unavoidable cognitive dissonance because like, how could all this be out there? And you'd be like, yeah, so I decided to be a Nazi. Well, aside from the infantilizing, I think Jojo Rabbit uh, has a very strong line on that that they even put into the uh, uh, put into the trailer. Uh, you're not a Nazi. You're a little boy who wants to belong. Uh, right, and I get that. I get that. Yeah. But like, you would think you would rename it, right? And then some <laughs> groups have, but then some groups haven't. Right, which makes it weirder, right? Because like, it's to not even rebrand it. Well, I think it's also it plays into that uh, any war movie that depicts war is a pro-war movie, even if it wants to right. be an anti-war movie. I think yeah. I think by painting Nazis as history's greatest monsters, we uh, they're appealing to some group we, of people. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I agree. That's probably true. Yeah. Which is actually why why probably more more nuanced views of Nazi Germany are are more valuable in our world, honestly. Yeah. Uh, no, it needs where to they nuance. like dig into the idea of these are just normal people who do if, really really fucking bad shit. If Nazis are a singular evil, they are the Ubermensch, and right, they win. Right. That's true. So, yeah. yeah. And we've done that. We've made them that. Right. right? Like that we that's we've done that. We 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 succeeded where we have succeeded where. Hitler failed. Great Hitler job. failed. Great job. We're awesome. America, let's be uh, just really kicking ass all the time. Uh, but yeah. Um, so some other interesting aspects of this movie then. Uh, Melville originally wanted to end the movie with the same, uh, or, a, or at least a mirrored version of the opening scene of the Nazis marching through the tri- uh, Arc de Triomphe. Right. And instead, it ends with our heroes having just killed one of their own, uh, driving toward the Arc de Triomphe, and then turning because they hit a roadblock. And we see, we see first their faces and then the Arc of the, them approaching. So it is another it is another aspect of that defeatism but it is a different it's a different uh play on that defeatism too, right? From what he originally wanted to do. He originally wanted we still get the reminder that the Nazis are there, but we don't get the the complete defeatism of the Nazis once again marching through the streets of Paris. Oh, right. Um and again, you know, either Either of those play to your interpretation of, of this being about saving France, not about stopping Nazis. Uh, because it's the Nazis controlling the Arc de Triomphe, the French national monument. Right. That, Symbols of France, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. That is, that is the problem here. Not, not the atrocities they're committing. And that's, and that's yeah. fair throughout. You know, no one... There, it's not mentioned hardly at all in this movie, other than yeah. that one scene in the in the camp. Like, never is it mentioned that there and, and people and know camp, right because and that camp's because a minority facility. groups are being rounded up, right? Like people right. are turning in minority groups that they know as a part of their cooperation with the Nazis. Like right. that's a big, big. That's the main thing of it, really. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, and that's just it's not talked about. It's not. There's no attempts to liberate anybody. Right. It's it's very dark. 
That is a very, very dark thing. And and I think, you know, and America has to reconcile themselves to the has to reconcile ourselves to the same thing, right? Like, why did we attack? Well, I mean, why did we, you know, go to war? And, you know, wasn't to rescue, you know, people being killed in concentration camps. I mean, right. I think people did acquire that motivation when they found, like, when really it became very obvious. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you do hear people tell stories at the, at, you know, in documentaries and stuff that, like, for American yeah. soldiers and stuff, when but, it really hit home what was happening, how... Yeah, but dire- American... Yeah. Americans' leadership. America's leadership knew, and then didn't much bother earlier. to use that as a motivating factor, right? right? Yeah, right. exactly. Like, could have told everybody, like, "Look, we're doing this yeah. because of but this sat thing on, that's happening." Sat on that information because uh, maybe that wouldn't be a good enough motivator because you know racism, yeah, and bigotry. Sat on that information, or even tried to debunk that information, yeah, when it when it came out elsewhere, yeah. Ugh. Um. So this movie ultimately gets a theatrical release in 2006 America and is very, very popular. And because Americans fucking love resistance fighters. Yeah. Like as a just a general fucking rule in movies, this is a thing that America really, really enjoys. Keep in mind how popular Star Wars is, despite the fact that very clearly the Empire is America. That the resistance fighters are fighting right, right. America. Uh, you know, that's how much we love resistance fighters. I suppose that's fair. <laughs> I'm thinking about uh, 2006, an American film, and what else came out. Uh, is that when... Um, Ooh, I don't know. Ooh, 2006? Flags of Our Fathers? Was that the, the Clint Eastwood? Yeah, I think that's correct, yeah. Um, I don't know that does that 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 come out into the, I'm now I'm on the Wikipedia page too. Here we all are. <laughs> 2006 release film release schedule Wikipedia page. Well, there's Pirates of the Caribbean, which we all know is about resistance fighters. Yeah, letters <laughs> from no letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers both came out in 2006. Right. Both both of East of uh, Eastwood's uh, World War Two films. Um, you know, 2006, we're obviously, we're, we are well into the quagmire of Iraq. Uh, uh-huh. and, uh, oh man, 300 came out that year too. Yeah. No, there's, there's some very clear, uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. Oh, and V for Vendetta. Oh, v for Vendetta, 300. Uh, what else? What else? Um, I mean, I'm just going through it. I mean, there's a bunch of dumb shit on here too, but yeah. like, you know, I mean, like, it's not appropriate uh, to the to the topic. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. RV probably doesn't uh, qualify. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm enjoying this though because some it is actually really enjoyable to go look at the release schedule pages yeah. for different years when you realize how many fucking movies come out in one year. Oh, Holy man. crap! Oh man. I mean, okay, there's enough other stuff here that, that maybe we can make a, a different argument. But Superman Returns came out in 2006. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot of... I mean, there there are obviously multiple movie oh, trends man. that all run simultaneously. United 93 came out. I mean, out. obviously, obviously we're, talking, we're talking about a movie that has political context to its release. And now, looking at this list and thinking about the political context of all these movies... <laughs> 
Well, oh. and, and what you really started having to process, right, is that like it, what what this does is tell a story of what American cinema is, right? Like really, yeah. like and especially modern American cinema is obsessed with these sort of like certain kinds of tales, right? Like big fans of resistance fighters, big fans of the underdog, quote unquote. Yeah. Big fan of fighting the good fight, right? And then thinking about who and what defines what those things are, right? right? Like and Casino good Casino Royale, the reboot of Bond, yeah. comes out that year too. And this is all, they're all the same theme, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's, 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 50, there's basically 50, like, we've got, I've gone through 20 or 30 that all essentially have the same fundamental theme <laughs> yeah. in here. Like, when you start really breaking it down to what a theme is, right? Like, it, it's it's bad. I mean, it's bad. And, and that's the kind of film that we, were being made around that era. Like, you right, you know, right as we were, you and I were finishing up university, like, yeah. that was a, it was a dark time, and, and, it, and we never escaped from it. That's right. I mean, there are things, and there are other undercurrents. Obviously, like you can look, you can identify other currents that are also present in this. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. America likes the story of the underdog. Period. Yeah. And America likes stories of people resolutely fighting in the good war, uh, the one war we know was the good war. Uh, even right, yeah, the one where we know we were the good guys, yeah. despite the fact that you and I have just had a very long right. conversation about what exactly that means. Right, right. We still we do conceive of that as us being the good guys, you know, because you know we have a very you yeah mean, yeah yeah. They made a Tristan in his old day. Oh, I remember what that is. Okay, that's not the same thing. My bad. <laughs> No, it is. I think it's an adaptation in the same manner as uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, though. But I don't. Is it is it actually modern? I'm, I'm trying to figure that out right now. I don't remember like, offhand. Because yeah, okay. Well, let's just not talk about that. Um, yeah. Oh, I got to close this page. This is really, <laughs> really like like making it hard for me to do this podcast. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I. I I like my war films like I like my coffee overtly pacifist. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'd like to not have to have them at all, but if I'm going to have them, I want them to be very clear about the fact that this is really dumb bullshit that we're doing here right, right. now. Right. And this movie's just not that, so already, like, it fails to meet my singular criteria. Um. And almost anyway, right. almost no Western World War Two films are. Right. right. Yeah, and we and we've talked about And we've talked know, about we've, that this, for a long this time. Has come up a lot, yeah. Yeah. And 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 I feel like I I have higher hopes for for European cinema of rec- uh, sort of yeah. ability to reckon with these things because we've seen better results there. Uh and even, you know, you and I have watched quite a few Japanese films that sort of deal with these these issues as well recently. Um and yeah. the idea that like war itself is fundamentally a mistake that we shouldn't be we should yes. be actively trying to avoid, and <laughs> right. and this movie doesn't argue that because it's about resistance, which is essentially the the polar opposite of that, right? right. That you should do this even if it's not going to work. And to, to 
make a movie about resistance in a time of political uh a time of overtly trying to quash resistance yeah right of political unrest like that um the post algiers france is just oh man it's it feels real dark right that that feels like a choice right now the algerian war was was early 60s so right but like you know how long when did what, Alger- yeah, when did of... Algeria actually become independent i guess is question i mean yeah you do get into the question of uh how long like what's the sort of statute of limitations on that stuff yeah um probably arguably forever yeah algerian um, independence was was july 5th 1962 yeah um Incidentally, but, the, know, the anniversary of the surrender of Algiers to French rule in 1830 was also July 5th. Huh. Uh, yeah. It seems like that was done on purpose. Almost certainly, uh, yes. But, you know, also keep in mind that we're not just dealing with, like, you're also reckoning with a country that has, not unlike our own, a history of colonialism and yeah. being actively resistanced against, right? Yeah. You know? You know, Vietnam being a real primary example of that, right? Uh, right. And obviously, in 2006, the purpose of movies like Superman Returns and like Letters of Iwo Jima is to say, hey, all you kids camping out in your Occupy tents need to respect the country, right? Right, of course. And you don't, you, <sighs> that's, but, but let's, I mean, honestly, <laughs> unless your war movie is overtly pacifist. Right. That's pretty much always the argument, regardless of context. It just has a lot more poignancy to it when... Well, see, that's the problem, right? As you can say, like, it has a lot more poignancy when America's involved in a war. Guess what? All like, right. you find me the time when a war movie came out in America that there wasn't an American <laughs> right, war going right. on, and I'll buy you a fucking Coke. Um, what's so that, that one... Like, it was, I feel like I somebody told me there was that one year... <laughs> so there's like this one year yeah. which is fucking america just didn't do anything like i think it's like i don't remember what year it was but i feel like i was i read something somewhere where it's like it's essentially the quiet year the year yeah. like oh we just weren't involved in any wars this year even it, like secretly and illegally um we should be very proud of that year <laughs> that should be the the hallmark benchmark gold standard year uh, for us, but you know, yeah. Uh, all right, then I'm going to end this by saying I choose to believe that what Melville okay. wanted to do with this movie is to say to the 1968 demonstrators uh, that what you really need to do is start blowing stuff up. <laughs> and I will choose to say that it's it is the exact polar opposite of that. <laughs> Which, Which is, is probably hey, more you, accurate. You, 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 uh, you bunch of pansy protesters. We fucking fought Nazis. Yeah. To give and you this dying. right. Stop. <laughs> yeah. And that classic argument, we fought to give you this right, so don't fucking use it. Right. Right. And I, you are almost certainly correct in and, that and interpretation. And I, 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 I wish I could be in your boat because it's a lot nicer sounding. <laughs> Yeah.
Yeah. I, I, I appreciate your purposeful cognitive dissonance on this. Being like, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe <laughs> this thing because it's way less stressful for me. <laughs> oh, man. I just... Having finally found a Melville film that I halfway liked, I just wanted to like it. All right? I, I do my job on this podcast, <laughs> which is to ruin things for you. <laughs> Apparently... Usually I, we I can actually ruin it for each other. That so. Yeah, yeah. You why this yeah, this 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 role does operate in both directions. It's just you <laughs> very clearly tried to delude yourself on this one. You were like, <laughs> I wanna believe. I gotta believe. Because we've watched so many Melville films, and we're gonna watch so many more. <laughs> this man produced a single film that wasn't the work of an asshole. <laughs> oh, I suppose. I mean, the name's a real dead giveaway, honestly. <laughs> Again, we talked about at the end of the last episode, he didn't necessarily choose the name as just his secret identity, his code name for the resistance. He was a... <clears throat> he was Jewish. He may have had very, very he good had, reasons he for had good reason a to, yes, absolutely. to be moving I, and that, under that's an true. assumed name. But then again, it's still a bit of an odd choice, but whatever. Yeah. But again, again, the fact that Melville is Jewish is... It's important. It is, it is important an important here. factor. Right. Uh, it's just, we will never know 100% of but his internal I don't, I don't think that changes... But his self-description also gives us a right. lot of information, right? About the way he and views he, himself. He did continue to go under the name Melville even after the war. So there's that too. Um, and I don't think, I don't think him... Him being from a Jewish family undermines any any of the points you've made. Uh, so yeah, I mean it probably makes him, you know, like all people, more complicated than yeah. just sort of our simple breakdown you know, as a human being, right? Like everybody is more complicated than the the end of this conversation is that it's all very complicated. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's the, that's the subtitle of this podcast, which is. Hey, let's give socialism a try. Colon. Hey, it's, it's all, complicated. It's all complicated. It's not that easy, but we should do it anyway. Um, yeah. No, I think that's fair. And maybe, maybe in that regard, and and in a lot of regards, quite honestly, this movie is a little too simplistic uh, in wanting to tell the story that it wants to tell. Uh, right, and I think that yeah, that for sure, yeah. and simplicity is dangerous, right? In the yeah. sense that you make bold statements about right. the world that are impossible to make. Right, right, and this movie assumes the Nazis are bad guys, which is a fine assumption. The Nazis were bad guys, yeah, but totally reasonable assumption to make. Absolutely, uh, but it doesn't do anything to sort of pushback and in that regard they're almost they're not caricatures necessarily but they're non-entities really well i would i would argue that they're the choice to not translate a single nazi into right right or english demonstrates a lot of intent yeah about the way like they're not people you can't even understand them they're not people in a movie that whose words you cannot even begin to understand are not people. Yeah. Right? Because they, that means that, that, that what they're saying is irrelevant. Fair. 
Uh, well, now, then, I don't know. I don't know if the French version has French subtitles for for them. Maybe who knows? But, but our version did not did doesn't. not translate any German that was not translated by a character on screen. Yep. Um, now yeah. that you could also play that off as being very gritty, realistic, right? You can say like, well, I mean, yeah, but even characters who know German do understand. Also, yeah, don't like we don't even get it then. Yeah. Well, I guess we do. We get a translation of Matilda. Uh, Speaking in German to the guards. Yeah, we get a translation of the French person yeah. speaking German. Yeah. But that's that's different, right? Right, right. That's fair. I don't know. that. that there's multiple ways to interpret that situation. It's just one of them is that they're not people. All right. The other is I want to be very realistic. Like, I'm not going to translate my Klingons in this Star Trek movie kind of sort of scenario, right? Like, oh, you don't understand because the characters don't understand. So it's a kind of a that's a hard one, but anyway, we'll leave off with this. Uh, 2006 is also the year Children of Men came out, and it's also the year that Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, came out. So yeah, and, maybe and we can just not learn anything by stuff. the movies yeah. that come out in a year too. So no, I I I don't I do believe that there's a no, lot of information no. to be gleaned from certainly. the trends. Certainly there movie is. Releases. Certainly there is. Yes. Uh, well, this week we've been talking about Army of Shadows. Jean-Pierre Melville is 1969 uh, French Resistance memoir film. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Next week we'll be talking about Sancho the Bailiff from 1954. Uh, Kenji Mizuguchi getting back to Japan with us. Uh, Thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oratari Jorgen. And we'll see you next time. Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Jorgen and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Haidt does the music. Check him out at JonathanHaidt.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.